you guys want to turn with me to Mark chapter 1, that'll be our passage for tonight, Mark chapter 1. We've, if you've been here this semester so far, you'll know that we've kind of been taking a look at the story of Scripture. So we've kind of tried to take a, take a look at how the Bible fits together as one sort of grand story. There's certain scenes um, that are really, really important throughout the Bible that kind of move the Bible's plot line along. So that's kind of what we've been exploring. We began with the creation story and how God creates a good world. Um, he's a good God and he wants to bless the world that he's made and he creates people. Um, because of who they are, they're able to image and, and present the glory of God in a unique way. Um, so that's kind of where we started. We looked at how these people that he created to shine forth his glory, how they prefer their own kind of glory. They decide they don't want to obey this God and they, they you know... Kind of say, forget you, God. We're not interested in doing things your way according to your plan. And they, um, they fail him and they disobey. And, and the whole world gets kind of torn into bits. And the whole universe fractures and sin enters the world. We moved on to talk about the story of Israel. How Israel was created as a people to be kind of God's means by which he brings redemption to his world. And we looked at how Israel failed to be that kind of people also. Um, how at the end of the day, they didn't really want to be ruled by this king who's our God. They, they weren't that interested in being ruled over by him, so, so they kind of wanted to do their own thing. It's kind of like a common theme that keeps kind of coming along. Um, so we looked at that, but we also looked at how at the end of the Old Testament, God promises to bring redemption and promises to bring salvation. Um, so now we're at the Jesus part of the biblical story, which happens to be my favorite part. Okay, So we're going to look at Jesus in these next few weeks. Today we're going to take a look at the life of Jesus. Um, we're not going to be able to cover everything he did, but we're going to use this text, Mark 1, as a way to kind of understand Jesus' life. Um, And next week we'll look at the cross and the next week the resurrection. So I'm really excited about these next few weeks. Um, So Mark chapter 1 is our text. We're going to read this together, verses 1 through 20, and we will talk about it. Mark chapter 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist And ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came upon, when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open. And the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days. Being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals. And the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, 
and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Let's pray. Lord, we do ask that just as we explore this passage, Lord, that you'd be our teacher, God, that you would um, really speak to us, Lord. Um, God, we pray that by the power of your Spirit, you open our hearts to what it means to follow you, um, Lord, to be citizens of your kingdom, to, to embrace your rule and your reign. Lord, we pray that you'd do this and you'd help us. Lord, we pray that just in your kindness and your mercy, you'd give us a sense of who you are and what it means to follow you. Um, Lord, would you just take these words that I prepared, Lord, would you make them your word, Lord, to us and for us tonight. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, I have this, like, very faint, distinct memory as a kid of watching Western movies. And I think I watched them at my grandparents' house, okay? Like, I just have this faint kind of memory of seeing Western movies on TV and kind of seeing them at my grandparents' house and kind of liking them. I thought they were kind of cool movies. And if you've ever seen, like, a Western movie, like, Western movies actually kind of all have the same theme and sort of pattern, okay? Basically, there's a good guy and there's a bad guy, and something happens to get those two, those two groups mad at, or those two people mad at each other. And, like, the whole story, the whole movie is this tension between the two of them, and it all culminates in a moment that's kind of like this showdown moment in, like, the town square or, like, the little corral or the OK Corral or some, some sort of corral. And, and there's just this moment where there's a showdown, and it's one of those, um, this town ain't big enough for the both of us kind of moments, you know? Like, some, somebody's got to go, something's got to give, the two of us can't possibly succeed. Um, it's, it's either you or it's me, and it's not going to be me, so we're about to shoot each other. Something like that. Like, it's, this is how Western movies are. There's just this showdown moment um, that the town ain't big enough for the both of them. And, and actually, I say that because I think that's kind of what's happening in the Gospel of Mark. Um, the Gospel of Mark, a major theme of the Gospel of Mark is the conflict that takes place between sort of the rule and the reign of King Jesus and sort of the forces of evil and darkness, and, and, and just the, the kind of associations and the allegiances of a different kingdom other than Christ's kingdom. And Mark's gospel is full of moments where there's this clash between Jesus and in between other kings and other kingdoms. Um, and, and I feel like that's sort of what, what's happening in this passage. Um, and, and basically, I think in this passage, you know, we, we get a summons by Jesus to, to embrace his kingdom. Um, and we also sort of see how these disciples who were called to embrace his kingdom, how they respond. And I think the summons Jesus makes in this passage is sort of the same thing he would want to say to us tonight. And the way that these disciples react and respond is actually really, really similar to how, um, how we're to respond to Jesus and his rule and his reign. Um, so let's, uh, let's kind of dig into it just a little bit. I mean, it begins in verse 1 saying that the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ... Um, this word gospel, I mean, what do you think of when you hear this word gospel? Um, a lot of us kind of have a particular framework in our mind when we hear the word gospel. Um, and we're going to talk about that in just a second. But the whole of what Mark's going to present in his gospel is gospel. It's good news about Jesus. And, and we, we learn from the very beginning that it's rooted deeply in the story of Israel. Um, kind of take a look at verses uh, 2 and 3. Um, the, 
the writer here tells us that what's happening now in Jesus is, is in connection to the great sort of prophetic tradition of Israel. It says that in Isaiah the prophet, these words were said, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Um, sort of in the ancient hope of Israel, there would be a day. This, this is an allusion to a couple different texts, actually. Something from Isaiah, something from Malachi, perhaps an echo from the book of Exodus. Um, but there's this great ancient hope that one day God would come, that one day he would rescue his people, that he would show up on the scene in a fresh way, and that he would bring um, a fulfillment to all the hopes and all the promises that he had promised his ancient people. Um, that one day the Lord himself would return to the, the promised land and that he would bring this kind of restoration and he would sort of reassert his rule and his reign. And Mark wants us to know from the beginning that what's happening with Jesus quite corresponds to that ancient hope of Israel. That great kind of rescue plan that, that God had been kind of working from the beginning of the pages of Scripture is now coming true in Jesus. Like all of that is now about this. And Mark wants us to know this from the beginning. And if you kind of take a look down at verses 4 through, through 8, um, we hear about this figure, John. Okay, John's kind of a crazy person in sort of the New Testament. And we hear that he's out in the wilderness. He dresses with camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. That he's eating locusts and he's eating wild honey. Um, and he's very, very similar to how Elijah is described in the Old Testament. Okay, and Elijah is sort of the beginning of the prophets of Israel. So, so John's ministry is here to prepare the way for Jesus' coming. Um, again, in the ancient hope of Israel, there was sort of a, a myth um, or a legend that one day Elijah perhaps would return again. Um, we hear in the Old Testament that Elijah didn't actually die, but he was taken up into heaven. So there was this ancient hope that maybe Elijah would come again one day. And a figure like Elijah would show up on the scene right before God rushed in to bring his redemption and his, his kind of final judgment upon the earth and his final kind of fixing of all the problems in, in sort of the world and the universe. That a person like Elijah would show up again. And, and here he is. It, it's John. Um, but John quickly wants to point the attention other, right? Someone's coming after me. Um, a lot of scholars think that kind of in the ancient, or, or in the first century here, that maybe there was sort of a cult around John the Baptist. And John has to say things like, no, no, I'm going to decrease because this person who's coming after me has got to increase. And, and the person who's coming after me is going to be stronger than I. I'm not even worthy to tie his sandals. Um, so, so this prophetic figure is on the scene. This great hope of Israel that God would rush in in a fresh and new way is, is happening now in Jesus. And, and Mark wants us to see this. And then in this little passage, there's a couple other scenes. We hear about the baptism of Jesus. We hear about the temptation scene. And again, what Jesus does in his baptism is to temptation, I think, corresponds with Israel's ancient story. Um, if you kind of remember, the great sort of moment of, of salvation in the Old Testament is the Exodus story. When God rescues his people from slavery in Egypt and he leads them out. And remember, they pass through water. They have to pass through the Red Sea in order to kind of make their way toward the promised land. And in the same way, Jesus shows up and he goes down into water um, to kind of inaugurate his ministry. Like his life and his work is somehow corresponding with Israel's journey. Does that make sense? Um, and, and we see that, that Israel, after passing through the Red Sea... They, they're led into the wilderness and they're tested. God tested them in the wilderness to see if they'd be faithful to him. 
And we find here that Jesus is, is driven into the wilderness and he's tested and he's tried. But Jesus remains faithful to God. Whereas Israel failed God, Jesus is going to remain faithful um, in this kind of interesting place. And look at verse 13. He was in the wilderness for 40 days. The people of Israel were in the wilderness for 40 years. So there's correspondence here. He was with the wild animals. Um, this, this line, he was with the wild animals, is kind of random. Um, the other gospel writers don't tell us that there were wild animals out there. And, um, so it's kind of, what's going on here? Um, well, in Isaiah, again, there was an ancient hope that one day that the lamb would lay down with the lion. Um, and that even creation itself, peace, would be brought to creation itself to where um, everything, all the kind of tension that exists just in the, na- in like the natural order um, would somehow be kind of resolved in peace. Lambs would lie down with lions. Little kids, it says, would be able to reach into a snake's den. And this was a great ancient hope of, of one day God would literally just create a new heavens and new earth and he would set everything right. And, and there's an illusion here to that. Um, and so all this is kind of happening with Jesus. And, and just one place I want to I just point you to real quick. Um, look at verse 10. And when Jesus came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open. And this is a really strong word. It's a violent word. Literally, the heavens were kind of ripped apart. See, in, that, in kind of the ancient Hebrew understanding, sort of, you know, there was earth and then there was heaven. And heaven was sort of the, the dwelling place of God where things were as they should be. Um, that's why Jesus teaches disciples to pray that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven is sort of the realm where things are as they should be. But now, in the person and work of Jesus, heaven has been ripped open in order for, for God to kind of come and invade our sphere. God has come to invade the world that he's made and he's created. He's come to bring rescue. But it's kind of like a scary sort of, the heavens are ripped open. He's coming strongly. He's coming almost violently to kind of bring rescue. Again, that, that theme of tension and conflict in this gospel story. Um, Jesus is showing up on the scene and he's aggressive. He's going to go right after the forces of evil. One of the first things that happens as you go on this text is he confronts a demon-possessed person and casts out the demon and rebukes the demon and tells the demon to, to shut up. I mean, this is the kind of thing Jesus has come to do. Like, in Jesus, heaven and earth are kind of meeting here. I'm at the end of the Gospel of Mark. The veil is torn apart in the temple, once again showing that, that God's rule and his reign has come and invaded the earth um, He's invaded our sphere. Does that make sense? So Jesus is on the scene bringing this rescue. And, and then it moves on and it tells us what he began to do. Um, now after John was arrested, this is verse 14, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Okay, this word gospel. I mentioned that earlier, like... You know, what do you think of when you think of gospel? Um, a lot of you guys, if, if you're kind of like me, you kind of grew up understanding gospel as just sort of a personal sort of thing. Like, the gospel is that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and you can go to heaven when you die. And what I'm about to say is in no way, like, kind of saying something negative about that part of the gospel. Because the gospel does have this very precious, like we would give our lives for it, kind of precious element of our personal salvation. It is a part of the good news that, that, that Jesus has come to bring. We can be personally forgiven and personally have salvation. Um, 
So I'm not going to disparage that kind of understanding of the gospel. But in the Bible, the gospel is much grander than that. The idea of the good news of Jesus is bigger than that. It has personal implications. It has corporate implications. It has cosmic implications for the whole universe. The good news of what God has done in Jesus um, is bigger and it's grander than just sort of this personal exchange between you and God. It has implications for every sphere of the universe. Um, And it says that Jesus came and, and he's proclaiming this gospel of God. So in other words, the gospel is more than a personal thing, right? Like, um, one of my professors at Beeson was kind of famous, you know, around um, Beeson for kind of saying that, you know, we have a tendency to think of the gospel as sort of the ticket to get on the train, right? The gospel is the ticket we use to get on the train. Once we kind of get the gospel, we get the ticket, we get on the train, and we go about living the Christian life, you know, riding down the track, however we're supposed to. And he, and he just always would remind us, no, the gospel is like the ticket to get on the train. It's the train. It's the track. It's the car. It's the seat you sit on. It's the place you're going to sleep. It's the, it's the engine. It's the caboose. It's, it's the whole thing, in other words. Um, the good news of Jesus is, is broad. It's encompassing. And it's, it's something we've got to remember. Um, and Jesus is proclaiming this good news of God. And, and here's his proclamation in verse 15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The time is fulfilled. In other words, the time of God's great rescue, His great redeeming work. It has been building and gaining momentum throughout the pages of Scripture. Ever since even even the moment when Adam and Eve fail Him. God comes pursuing Adam and Eve, right? And this has been gaining momentum, but the time of, of, of God's Come saving work to come rushing on the scene is now here. Um, the long-awaited time that God would bring redemption and salvation is now here and is here in Jesus. And then he says that the kingdom of God is at hand. And again, I think when you hear this phrase, kingdom of God, like, what do you think when you hear kingdom of God? And if you're like me, a lot of times our, our understanding of kingdom of God is, is like heaven, right? Like king, the kingdom of God is when we go to heaven, right? Well, Wrong. Like, in the New Testament, that's not exactly what the kingdom of God means. Um, It it includes that, sure. But um, the kingdom of God is kind of God's rule and His reign. Um, And and it's here, and it's present in our world now. Um, It it began, I mean, it came, Jesus came to bring this rule and reign, to reassert God's rule and His reign, um, to reestablish God's rule and His reign. And Jesus is claiming that his kingdom is now present and it's available. It can be grasped. It can be participated in. It can be entered into. Um, And the same is true today. God's kingdom is very much at work in our world. God's rule and his reign is being asserted in our world. And and you don't want to miss that. You don't want to miss where God's up to something in our world. Um, But according to this text, the, the kingdom of God was right there present in the activity of Jesus so I think a question is like, then what does it look like? What did the kingdom of God, this, this um, sort of assertion of God's rule and his reign once again on his world, what did it look like? And I, and I wrote down just a ton of stuff that it looked like in the life of Jesus. Um, and this list I wrote down is actually like just from the Gospel of Mark. So like the first page is from the Gospel of Mark and the back page is from other random Gospel accounts. Um, 
So I'm just going to kind of read some of the things that the kingdom looked like. Because the kingdom sort of like, it's, it's hard to define what God's rule and reign is. It's his rule and his reign. So what does it look like? And, and so this list kind of helps us get our arms around a little bit about what it looked like. Um, here's what it looked like in the Gospel of Mark. Um, Jesus' rule and reign looked like a demon-possessed man being freed and a, demon's, a demon being rebuked and told to shut up. Um, a woman with a fever being healed. Again, demons cast out. A leper, an untouchable, being touched. Um, paralyzed person being able to walk again. And they, this paralyzed person gets their sins forgiven in the meantime. Um, tax collectors, kind of like the arch enemy sinners in the minds of the Israelites, are invited to participate and to follow this king. Um, the kingdom of God in the Gospel of Mark looks like self-righteous religious people just being called out. Um, it looks like a guy with like a deformed hand being, being healed. Um, it looks like customs and rules that were being used as tools of oppression kind of being turned upside down. Um, it looks like a raging storm being told to be silent. It, it, it looks like a mustard seed that's really, really, really small, but one day is going to be big and kind of take over everything. Um, again, it looks like a demon-possessed person who's self-mutilating, um, being freed of that. Okay, It looks like a woman who's got some sort of weird bleeding disorder where she's bleeding all the time. Um, no, she'd be unclean, she'd be untouchable. It looks like her blood being clotted and her being healed. And it looks like a little girl being raised from the dead. Um, it looks like these participants, these followers of Jesus, being sent out to carry on his work. Um, then it looks like 5,000 people being fed. Um, then more self-righteous people are called out and rebuked. Um, then outsiders, people outside of Israel, Gentiles, are being given crumbs from the table. Um, that's what it looks like. It looks like a deaf person being able to hear. Another crowd of people being fed, a blind person being able to see, demons being cast out. Some upside down principle that the first will actually be last and the, and the last will be first. And that's just in the Gospel of Mark. Um, customs that are permitted, customs and, and traditions that permitted injustice to be carried on. All of a sudden those kind of things were challenged in Jesus' kingdom work. Um, the rich people are being challenged to sell everything and actually give to the poor in the kingdom of God. Um, in the Gospel of Mark, another blind man is able to see. Um, a temple is, is walked right into and, and things are thrown everywhere because the temple had become a place that had sort of missed the point of its existence. And the, and the true king um, was right there in the midst of the temple and unrecognized. So Jesus wasn't happy. Um, it looks like a poor woman being honored for giving a measly gift. Um, it looks like a meal being celebrated that celebrates the redemption found in Christ. Um, and all kinds of other things and other gospel accounts. Um, sinners. Okay, sinners having a seat at God's table. Prostitutes being accepted. Um, a group of women. Okay, a group of women in the first century for women to be a part of a, of a discipleship following would have been unheard of. And in the kingdom of God, women are called to follow Jesus. We hear about that in the gospel of Luke. In Gospel of John, waters turned to wine. In other words, everything about the world, everything about um, the rule and reign of, of darkness is being literally assaulted and being turned upside down in the person and work of Jesus, the world's true king. Um, I really like reading the Chronicles of Narnia. I've always kind of liked those stories. 
And um, in the Chronicles of Narnia, you know, I mean, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, um, all of Narnia is underneath this spell, right? And it's winter all the time. And there's a part in the story when um, the snow and everything kind of begins to melt. And the witch is riding along in her sleigh, and she's freaking out because, like, winter's melting away. Um, and what we hear is that winter's melting away because Aslan must be on the move. And that's kind of what's happening in the person and work of Jesus in his kingdom work. Um, the world's true king has come to rule and to reign. And the ice and the snow is beginning to melt away. Okay? It, it, the rule and reign of darkness will never be completely eliminated before Jesus returns. I really believe that. But at the same time, God's kingdom is growing. It's advancing. Um, and, and we have the privilege to be a part of it. Um, and this is what Jesus is doing. He's bringing about like the rule and reign of God in everything that he's doing and saying and being. And, and in the weirdest kind of scene of this kingdom assertion and this kingdom rule and reign that we'll really get into next week, this king, this powerful, rightful Lord king who can calm a storm, is drug outside the city, stripped naked, embarrassed, humiliated, and killed. So we've got a very strange kind of concept of what it means for a king to rule and reign in the Gospels. We'll get into that next week. Jesus is on the scene. His kingdom's here. Um, so here's kind of what I want to ask and kind of challenge us to kind of think about. Okay, so what does the kingdom of God's coming look like in your life and in your world? Because this process of God bringing about his rule and his reign and beginning to take back his world began in the physical person and work of Jesus here. But the rest of the Testament will teach us that it now continues in his people, and that's you guys and me. So what does it look like on your campuses to look for ways that God's kind of on the move? Like, where is he kind of breaking down boundaries? Where is he turning things upside down? Where is he teaching us to value different things? Where is he teaching us to to kind of align our allegiances with his rule and reign as opposed to other allegiances. Like, what, what's God doing on your campus and in your life? What's he up to? How's his kingdom kind of shining forth in your world, and how can you participate? That's a hard question. You know, we look for that. I mean, that's the motivation behind, for example, like, um, like when UCF takes a trip to Haiti. Like, we just believe God's up to something in Haiti, and we kind of want to go be a part of it. I mean, that's... We want to look for it. We want to sense the way he's moving. Um, there'll be some opportunities this summer sort of with our church to be involved in some rebuilding of some places that were destroyed by the tornado. Um, there's a, a local church kind of in the inner city that we really believe that God's kingdom work is kind of beginning to advance and sort of break in in that part of the city in and through that church. So we want to kind of find a way to be a part of it. And this is what it means to kind of live a life on mission um, for God is to look for ways that his kingdom needs to be asserted in a particular place. I mean, if you're, if you're a you know, business major, like, how does God's kingdom rule and reign need, need to be asserted in sort of a particular area you're interested in? What does that mean for you to participate? Just an open question. I don't have any good answers on that. Um, and, then, and then just kind of this final part. Notice that when Jesus shows up on the scene, and he brings his rule and his reign, and he calls people to follow him. They do. It always astounds me when you read the accounts of how these people um, respond to Jesus. The disciples, they're not perfect. They screw it up. They end up kind of doing dumb things. They end up failing Jesus. But then they end up being restored and empowered. And they 
kind of advance and establish the church, and, and they're great. But it always astounds me because you just, like, and immediately he called them and they left. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and immediately they left. Like, when this kind of king shows up and he calls you to follow him, you, you do. You drop what you're doing um, in order to, to follow his lead. That doesn't mean you, like, drop out of school or do something like that. Um, but it means that other agendas become a lot less important. And other allegiances need to go. Um, it's, kinda, it's kind of what it means to follow Jesus. Um, we just hear these accounts that Jesus called these people to follow him. And it just, in a sort of a throwaway line, it says, and, and they went. Um, so what does it mean for us and you and me um, to just maybe drop other allegiances and pursue this king and his kingdom? Kind of, kind of an open question. I mean, the call to repent, to turn and believe in this good news, to turn from our ways and our other allegiances to this king, this, this is the same call to us tonight. And, and then the call to follow this king, it's the same call to us tonight. Um, this story is our story. Um, so, you know, may the Lord give us kind of the sensitivity to his spirit to know what how we do that um, let's pray Lord we do thank you that you rule and you reign Lord so we do pray um, just like we saying that you would reign in us Lord um, Lord that we wouldn't pursue other allegiances that are less worthy God that we wouldn't miss out on your rule and your reign Lord, that um, we would actually be sensitive to the sneaky ways that you're bringing about your rule and your reign, these ways that we might not even notice. Lord, would you give us kingdom eyes? Lord, would you give us a kingdom vision for our life? Um, Lord, would you be so kind to grant us repentance, Lord, for us to turn from other allegiances? Lord, so we embrace you as our king. Um, and Lord, we do ask that you'd help us know what this means and what this looks like in our life. Um, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.